Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside my man Patrick Williams from theHL.com. Coming to you from, I mean, last couple of times I've said the thick of the playoffs, but we're kind of at, uh, you know, approaching the final four. The East is is all set, the Eastern Conference Finals, the West, we're still waiting, but a very eventful last couple of weeks in the AHL, I would say. Yeah, you know, it's funny how, like, it starts slow and now it goes fast, right? Like, it seems like two weeks ago we were at the, you know, the 16-team mark, and now we're, we got the East settled. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're down to the final two there, and now the this weekend uh, at the latest, we'll, we'll we'll figure out the West matchup. So uh, yeah. we'll be down to the, the final four by uh, by the end of this weekend, and um, yeah, then we go right into the conference final. Now everything starts to go the best of seven format, and I think now this is where we really see it. Whatever matchups are going to be, they're going to be good ones. I kind of like it's funny for the NHL playoffs. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs the finals i love the conference finals don't get me wrong but what i will say is like you know how like the first week of the nhl playoffs it's like a hockey fan's dream there's games every night whatever and then as it gets into like the conference finals it's like oh when's the next game whatever i actually like in the ahl at this point that we're at where there are less games because the match there's so much more to the matchups right like there's i find that the first round it's not not that the intensity isn't revved up as much but all but, you know, you put the tweet out, like Dallas, for example. Like, Dallas's NHL team is in, but every other team playing right now, they're all out. Their affiliate's out, so they have all their big guys. You're not really waiting on anyone, so it's kind of like the best-on-best situation. So maybe that's why the later rounds are better. Um, I agree. Let's start. Let's, so, as we said, the East is settled. The Eastern Conference Finals is going to be the Hershey Bears or the Rochester Americans. We'll tee that up in a minute, but let's go over both series, which were both sweeps. Um uh, kind of crazy. Let's start with Hershey uh, in your backyard. Hershey and Hartford, I th- I think in a lot of ways, it, it maybe was always poised to be this way. I think that we all started rooting for Dylan Grand. And then, then Hartford didn't play him in the decisive game three. And I got to say, I'm I'm shocked. Because I understand Louis Domingue was the guy all year, but like you have to ride the hot hand. I, were you surprised as well? Or did you kind of see this coming? I saw it coming, and yet I'm surprised just because I didn't understand the move. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's one of those weird things. Like, I, I told somebody I was surprised, uh, but also mystified. Because right. for, for two reasons. Dylan Duran was fantastic in both of the first two games in Hershey. He was the only yeah. reason that, that either one of those games was even close. Right. Um, Hershey came out and just – they pushed Hartford around. Like, that's what Hershey does. Like, they – they bully you, like, uh, and their forecheck, you know, they just they grind you, grind you down, right? And Dylan Grant was, especially that first period of game one, was absolutely lights out. Um, they were outshot 17 to three, really. It could have been three, four, nothing easily in that first period um, for Hershey. Uh, he played well in game two. Obviously, now you're in a must win game three. Louis Domingue hasn't played in a month. He was with the Rangers. For yeah. First and- round. But also, Pat, what does this say to the guy, to the goalie? Like, you know, you have a prospect put a 9.35 save percentage in eight games. Your team loses, but as you said, by no fault of his, and then you make a change. Like, I, I you know, even if you put him in, you lose whatever. You, your asset, the prospects getting that experience and the adversity that comes with it. I just it, puzzling to me in in a lot of ways, to be honest, yeah. from, from Hartford's uh, perspective. 
we're on the same page a thousand percent about that. Like, um, I was almost hoping you were going to give me something that would make me understand yeah. it, but now, now I'm just, no, uh, you know, and I, I spoke to people in and around the Hartford scene and, and they, they had the same feeling. Like it was, you saw it coming just because Louis Domingue was the number one guy and this is the must win, you know, game. But I don't know, like for me, that's an opportunity missed. You have a goalie, you know, a goal has really emerged as a, standout prospect there mm-hmm. and you have an opportunity to put him into this pressure atmosphere which is all we hear about right like mm-hmm. the playoffs are all about getting your pl- prospects experience and letting them uh, feel that pressure letting them go through it and then here's a crystal clear opportunity to do that and you and you don't take that opportunity i don't understand it but in the end I'm, i don't know if it made much of a difference because Hershey just right they were ending that series last night like you could tell all right like Hartford came out and they had their push and they got a one nothing lead. But at some point, Hershey, it was like the switch flipped. Hershey said, okay, let's end this. We don't want to hang around for another two days. We don't want to have any potential for this series to get out of hand. We're ending this. We're going home. We're going to give ourselves a nice long uh, weekend off um, back in Hershey, hang out and uh, get ready for the next round. Uh, and they just took over that game, 3-0, or 3-1 final. And that was uh, – that was the end of this uh, run for the Hartford Wolfpack. Let's get into the Hershey Bears. That's going to be our team of the week this week. I would say right now, like where we're at right now, I would say that the Hershey Bears have played a lot, have looked a lot better than maybe I would have anticipated. Mm-hmm. And that's probably because I, I will admit, was really high in the West, still am, but I think I, I undermined Hershey. But what we've seen throughout these couple weeks has been really telling You've seen guys like Lucas Johansson step up in a big way for them, driving a lot of offense. Um, even if he's not putting up crazy numbers, you've seen like Hendricks Lapierre, prosper for Washington, play well. Connor McMichael as well is having some experience. A lot of promising talent in Washington's pipeline, it, was, it would seem like. Yeah, you know, for for given the fact that the Capitals, obviously for years and years and years, were a contender, had to trade pitch, had to make those late-season moves, it certainly took a toll on the system, like the farm system. I mean, it's right. just the, it's what you have to do. We've seen it with Pittsburgh. We've seen it with Tampa. We saw it with Detroit. I mean, it's, it's just the natural cycle, but um, eventually that, that catches up to you. But, um, and, and you know, the caps are still, they're still in that transition stage where they're trying to restock the shelves of the, uh, of the farm system, but the players that they do have there um, in Hershey, um, it's kind of like what, what, the caps lack in, in uh, quantity. They make up for in quality um, mm-hmm. with what they do have in terms of the youth. Um, so totally, this is uh, you know they fit in well. I mean, I love the fact Todd Nelson. That was it was a fan. It was one of those hires you knew right out right off the bat. It was going to be a great hire. Guy that's won the Calder Cup in this league as a player, assistant coach, and a head coach. Just coming off four years with the Dallas Stars as his assistant coach. Wanted to be a head coach again, so he took the step back to the HL, came to Hershey. Perfect fit for this group. The players absolutely love him. The amount of respect that he engenders is um, really like almost nothing I've seen uh, from another coach. Uh, he's just such a he's such a low key personality. He, he's he's those, he's that guy that knows how to to push them when they need to, but they don't need a lot of pushing. They're a pretty uh, self sufficient group. 
Um, so he's al- he's also got a crazy firm handshake. I can confirm. And whenever I yes. do a coach, when they have a very firm handshake, you know you don't want to screw with them. So I'll give him that. He does. Yes, he does. Um, only Dustin <laughs> Bufflin. Uh, Dustin Bufflin's with standard by which I match <laughs> all handshakes. Dustin Bufflin, um, as I told people, um, shook my hand uh, after the first training camp uh, with the Jets in 2011. My hand was bruised for a week, literally. It's like his hand just swallows your hand. That's his way of saying, don't ever request me again. (laughs) So back back to Hershey and away from the handshakes, which I sidebarred us from. I thought Carmen McMichael had a really great series. I thought thought in a lot of ways. So, you know, one interesting thing I realized is I was watching, uh, it was game two, I think, and... What what was interesting about like Michael and I was like always wondering I should check the the instat and the analytics whatever see how he's doing but I like to watch the game first and then kind of <laughs> see it just so it doesn't object my view because otherwise I start looking for stuff. Carmack Michael had a sixty three percent expected goals four percentage according to instat in that series and in watching it I thought he was a driver he was all over the ice he was really producing in these situations and we've talked about him a lot but for him and for the Caps this is exactly what they wanted with him in this experience I think it's paying off in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's a deep lineup, so he doesn't have to necessarily put it exactly. all on him, right? Like, n- neither does Lapierre. No, n- any of the young prospects the Caps have. Uh, Washington always, along with Hershey, goes out and signs a good base of veterans, guys that can really pull their weight and, and, and take some of that burden off the young players. Um, and I think we're seeing that with McMichael. Now, Hartford was a good test because uh, Hartford's built – pretty similarly to Hershey, kind of a heavy team, a team that can grind you down. And I, I wanted to see him go up against that. Charlotte was a much different matchup. That's a kind of a fast transition-based team. So now we've seen him against you know, different different types of opponents, different environments, different settings. So he's come through it pretty well. Um, Rochester now will be much more like Charlotte in terms mm-hmm. of an opponent. So it'll be interesting to see him make that transition back uh, to playing more of that up tempo game, but yeah. uh, I've been I've been happy, yes, uh, with McMichael's team so far. Let's switch over to that series, Rochester and Toronto. Probably the probably the result that again was could be expected. I was a bit higher on Toronto because I was Galaxy branding it like, oh, if if Wall comes back, um, what do you you know what does that mean, whatever. But as we kind of saw in that last game. One, Justin from the NHL to AHL is not uh, an easy one, mm-hmm. even if you're doing well in the NHL playoffs. And two, either way, going either up way, or coming down. Yeah. yeah. And then also uh, Bobby McMahon, who I didn't even know was going to be an option. He came back. Pontus um, Hollenberg with like the game of his life, which was kind of crazy. Like, I, where, where was he the last little bit? He's had a good playoffs, but, you know, he really dipped with the Marlies in the second half of the year. Yeah. Um, he was great with the Leafs, the NHL. He came down and was kind of like, kind of just pedestrian. Has an insane game the other night, but was enough to finish the job. Let's do a quick-ish post-mortem of that series before we move on to Rochester in this one. Like, what, what, uh, what do you think was the sort of the nail in the coffin for Toronto? I mean, that we saw all well, really for the second half of the season the defensive breakdowns time and time and time and time again. Right. And a team like Rochester will pick you apart yeah. if you don't have your game intact. And we saw exactly that. I mean, I, Joseph wall, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know who you could have put in that could have stopped most of those yeah. chances. 
I mean, he was absolutely hung out to dry. Um, all night long, it's like, hey, welcome back, Joseph Wall. Now, uh, you know, we're going to turn the puck over. We're going to miss coverages. We're going to, you know, blow assignments all night long in front of you. And, welcome, uh, welcome back, Joe. You're still cool to get 50 shots a game, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> if you thought it was tough at the Leafs, wait till you see the see what we have in store for you. And uh, um, I just I saw this one coming. I mean, I was surprised it got past Utica, to be quite honest. Um, and a team like Rochester was probably the worst possible matchup for them. Um, just the way their Rochester Americans play, it's a high, high up tempo game that you know. I thought it'd be good for them. I thought it'd be a track meet. It'd be like nine six every game. See that—that's the problem. I think that that yeah. plays into the the Marley's worst tendencies, right? Right, because they get exposed like, more than they can outscore. They get exposed more, but they also they get lured into that game, right? Right. Whereas if you're in a heavier, more defensive oriented, more grinding style of game, I think that I don't know that the the Marlies tend to dictate the style of a game, which I think was a was a problem for them at different points in the year, they tend to sort of go along with whatever's being played by the opponent and Amherst are going to, they're going to play run and gun. If you let them, they'll play it all night long. Sure enough, they did. The Marlies try to try to match that. They don't, they don't have uh, nearly the same weapons to do so. Um, so I think had the, had the Marlies face Syracuse, that would have been a better matchup for them because that's just more of a team where you're going to have to play that, that more that, closing in on uh, on on the puck and uh, yeah. opponents and, and you know you're playing in the tight quarters and uh, the amateurs well, don't play that here's another problem too rochester went three for three on the power play well yes i mean and, and it's like it's like the kid remember when you're a kid and kept touching the stove yeah and i did that a lot yeah and your 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 mother your grandmother whoever would tell you don't touch the stove it'll get burned and you keep touching it right yeah. well Eventually, you learn. Except in the in the Marlies case, they didn't learn. They kept going to the penalty box. Here's yes. another opportunity, Rochester. And well, sure enough, Amherst and Rochester's uh, power play has been buzzing all playoffs. That's seven thing for too. seven for eleven in that series. Yes, or seven that, for twelve, I believe. That's yeah. the difference maker. There you yeah, go. Yeah, right. So I mean, if you not, you can either take penalties or you can kill penalties. But if you can't yeah. do either then you don't have a shot, and uh, that's exactly well, what we saw. Well, also, too, it's like, here's the issue. If if you're going to take the penalty, like, Toronto has to be excellent on their yes. power play to play, to to kind of offset the issues they're having. So they did it, and that's yeah. what happened. Let's go over to Rochester. Yeah. Seth Apper is leading what is looking like a very, very dialed at Rochester team. Friend of the show, Seth Apper. Friend of the show, Seth Apper, yep. Uh, we don't know how his his strength is with shaking hands. Actually, have you shook his hand? Is it firm? Is it a firm? Uh, I have. Yes, it is. It's yes. a firm one, like Todd uh, Nelson firm, or like, like break your hands uh, on the IR firm, or or kind of like, hey, like we're 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 bros. Yeah, it's it's more <laughs> like that. Uh, it's it's solid though. Like it, it, it's a handshake he can be proud of. Let's put it that way. That's what we're all here for. This is what people listen <laughs> for. So Rochester. Uh, you know, I'm sure Buffalo's super happy with how things are going and, and all that. Like, there's some prospects stepping up. Can we talk about Yuri Kulik? This guy gets better every show. Like, it, it's getting Dustin Wolf level. We have to talk about him. I can't not. This guy, arguably, is having one of the be- one of the better playoffs of anyone. Like, I, you know, it's hard to scale because, like, there's the veterans, there's the, the rookies and whatnot, but nine points in six games in the playoffs. And 
all his goals, he scored in every single game Rochester's played in the playoffs, and almost and two of them are game winners. Six goals, two of them are game winners in yeah. the playoffs. Six games, six goals. Uh, what one? I mean, he just turned nineteen last month. I guess my question is how how did this how did this kid go twenty eighth? Right, like I if know, you're I if you're a lot doing of a redraft, you Yeah, if you're doing a redraft, um, yeah, he's not going twenty eighth. Um, just another, another player in their, in their Buffalo Rochester system. Right. Like, I mean, this is why I loved three years ago when the, when the Sabres hired Appert, like Appert had that experience with the U S development program working with, with elite, elite young talent. Kulik would certainly fit into that category. He's been fantastic for Kulik. And I think to Kulik's credit, he has followed Appert. He has bought in, like he does. Yeah, that 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 nitty gritty, dirty work, right? Like he's learning the the other side of the game. A lot of young players don't necessarily want to do that, right? Like yeah. scoring goals has been what's gotten them uh, to where they they're at. It's a tough sell sometimes, but I think to Kulik's credit, at such a young age, he's really grasped that you know he needs that two way game, and uh, yeah, he's wow. I mean, I don't know if there's been a prospect that's taken taken a bigger leap since January. No, no, yeah, it's. I really don't. Like, I, like I, and I'm being fully cognizant of like Askarov did solid. Wallstat really got his groove on. Like, don't get me wrong, but like Kulik has gone from promising to elite at this level. Yes. Yes. So, and, and that's that's a big distinction. You will see guys that will go from, uh, you know, good stick handles and good moves and like kind of fun in the eyes to like, okay, now they're contributing in all three zones. No, no, no. Kulik has gone from like someone I was classified as a project because he was at first. He was. There was a process to he's driving the bus in Rochester. Yeah. And that's oh, yeah. awesome to see. That's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. Like most players, it's a little bit more like this, and you know, a little bit dip, you know, but, but it's an overall slow, steady trajectory. Yeah. He was more like that. You know, he went like through the roof. And totally. you're right. He's driving the play. Uh, I think he's put himself in a firm contention for a job in Buffalo next season, full time. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, which I would not have thought, you know, midway through this season. I thought, much like you, that he was going to be probably a two or three year deal in Rochester. Well, which was that he's in his draft year plus one season. Yeah, we should just like it, this isn't expected necessarily. Yeah, most players his age are are in junior. <laughs> and next year too, man. Like and next year he's and he's he's, he's ripping up four. the AHL. I mean, he is like you said, he is driving the play. He's not. He's not just. He's not just there, right, you know, picking up, you know, easy tapping goals or, you know, kind of just hanging around, picking up the guards. Like, he is leading that team. Okay, I got to do a trivia. And I, I don't know if you're going to hate me for this, but let's play a, a, a game. How old do you think Yuri Kulik was when you wrote your last article for the Hockey News? Well, that would have been 29 – or no, 2009-10 season – so Kulik is an 04, so he would have been six years old. Well, it was in 2011, your last one. 2011, and okay. So your Kulik was seven years old. So he was <laughs> probably learning to read, learning to count, <laughs> learning colors. And now, man, you're you're uh, you got durability, man. That's what it says. I do. And... You got, got durability. And Yuri Kulik is is well. I, I put this stat out last night. The last time the Emirates went to the conference final in 04, 
Yuri Kulik was one month old. There you go. Okay, that's even better. Think about that, right? And that one's even better because it's nicer to you. Mine was very rude, so I like that well, one too. I, I just more like think about like uh, I probably haven't come a whole long way since 2011. <laughs> <laughs> He's come a long way, like in, 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 four in 2011. He was well, probably still, you know, a little bit unsure on his skates, and you know, probably he was probably like a lot of what seven-year-old kids trying to just learn the game. Mm-hmm. Now you see him out there, and it's like, wow, like he's one of the best I've seen come to this league in quite a while. I've wow. seen I've seen some good ones for sure. There have been some players. I mean, I I mean, I go back. I remember Jason Spezza coming through. Now he was a little different because he'd already played in the NHL, but like. You know, there's been some impressive ones, but like Kulik, he's he's right up there. He's right, right up there. And uh, between him, Isak Rosine, obviously Jack Quinn, uh, JJ Paterka, the other guys that have come through Rochester the last couple of years. You know, Buffalo, like those fans, bless them. They have been through a, a lot in the last decade plus. But I do think they're going to be rewarded in the next couple of years. I mean, that oh, is, I, I agree. That is I a team agree. on the upswing. And uh, a lot of that has to do with what Seth Appert has done in Rochester. I think the craziest thing, too, is like when you look at the development of all the guys that you just mentioned that have been through Rochester, brighter days are ahead. But also, it's like for Kevin Adams, he has so many trade ships in his holster, yeah. right? Because like it's just the byproduct of the league. Not all these guys are going to be Buffalo Sabres. Matt Savoy is also in junior. Like they have all these high picks. Like it's crazy, but you know, teams are watching this, right? Yeah. Teams are seeing what's happening in Rochester. And I think they're impressed. Let's get to Isaac Rosine there. I, I want to touch on him. What have you seen from him in these playoffs? Um, a, a similar case. Probably he's been more of a slow and steady progression. And again, we should, we should um, mention, sorry, Pat, that again, we're talking about 18 year olds here, Rosine and Kulik. So like, that's a disclaimer here I need to mention when we say because, like, even if it's slower, like, that was what's expected. Go ahead, Pat. Yeah. I, Jesus. I mean, you think these kids, I mean, well, they can't even legally buy a beer in Rochester. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> a good way to put it. Like, they are, they're I young. mean, they're young. Yeah. I mean, wow. Like, and you and you sort of notice every so often, like, when you talk in the interview, then, like, that youth still comes through a little bit, right? They'll say something like, or just sort of a, they'll make a reference to something you like. Like Fortnite, and you're like, what is that? Well, no, I'm not. I, I know, know No, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, just, or, or they'll think back, like, a lot of times it's when, like, they talk about, you know, oh, you know, so and so was my favorite player growing up. And, you know, like, I'm used to, like, now for them, their reference is like Kane and Taves. So right, like, yeah, 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 I see what you mean. I don't think like Kane and Tate's like, wow, they were drafted in the 2000s. Like, that's not that long ago. But, you know, it's just a different reference point. So, yeah, Rosine is um, – he's also been another um, – I thought he was going to be a little bit more of a, a longer-term situation in Rochester as well. I think he might – he might be back. I could see him being back in Rochester again next year. I could, oh, I think I, for sure. I could see him, though, getting breaking through with some games in Buffalo. Uh, he's more, I think, of a traditional path in terms yeah. of his development. Um, Kulik is, the, is, is the, the outlier, right? Like, guys just don't come in and, and, and take apart this league at 19 years yeah. old. But especially Rosine, in the playoffs. Especially in the playoffs, right? Like, you know, this is, you know, I've had, you know, 
I'm sure you've heard the same thing from players. It's the closest thing to the NHL you're going to get outside of the NHL is the yeah. Calder Cup playoffs. Like, and the standard can actually match the NHL regular season in some ways. Let's also remember too, like Isaac Rosine could very well be there for like, I don't know, two, three years or whatever. And everyone's going to be like, oh my God, when's this guy ready? But it reminds me of like Timothy Lilligren because he came to, yeah, defenseman, different position, whatever. But came to the Marlies as an 18-year-old and was there for like four years. And you're like, God, this guy's like a bust, right? He's been here for so long, but you're not really realizing that he shouldn't have been there for that long, right? It's, it's, it's the fact he's in his 18, 19-year-old season that it is an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah. So I could see that happening with Rosine too. I wanted to shift to like, before we move on to the West here, when you look at from the outside, looking in on a seven-game series between Rochester and Hershey, What's the first like, thing that comes to your mind with these two teams facing off? Which team can impose their style on the other more effectively, um, more thoroughly, and more quickly? That so what does that is, mean for Hershey? What's Hershey's style? Hershey, Hershey likes to just run you through the boards, grind you down. Like Beck Malenstein, that, that fourth line doesn't play like a fourth line. They drive a lot of the play for Hershey. Like They wore Hartford down. They wore Charlotte down. They just and it's not like it's not you know, people hear physical and they think it's fighting. No, it's it's just being hard on the puck. Every they close on every single play. Like yeah. you just get no room to breathe. Right there's there's never kind of a moment's rest on the ice against the Hershey Bears. Like they're just constantly in your face. They're constantly around you. You you, you can't get a you know yeah you can't get a moment's peace. Right like Rochester is much much different from that. Like Rochester, obviously you have a guy like Kool-Aid and Rosine and, and a good base of veterans and other young players like Lucas Ruschek, et cetera, et cetera. Like they love, they'll go back and forth all night, right? Like they'll mm. trade chances and, and, and it's worked for them. Right. So who can, who can impose that style first? Mm. That's where it comes. Out. I think in net, they're pretty evenly matched. Subban versus Hunter Shepard. Uh, I think, you know, on paper personnel wise, uh, the talent level is pretty equal, but uh, it really will come down. I think who can who can control that series first, right? And then whoever can do that, I think that's the team that comes out ahead, right? Like I I I, I see this just being a, a clash of styles. Styles make fights, and this is a perfect example of that. Let's move over to the West Coast. Uh, which is very much still undecided. So there's no there's no Western Conference preview here for, from us with that. Right now we've got Milwaukee and Texas, and they are in game. They're approaching yeah, three, game, three games. Three, they're three games. Game four. I always get confused. I know they're on the brink of. They're on. They're if Milwaukee wins next game, they're sorry. They're on game four, right? Yeah, Milwaukee has a two-one series. Lead. I almost said yeah. Game Six. Okay, Game yeah. Four. Because in some ways, it is like Game Six. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way my brain processes it. Because you say Game Four, I'm like, all right, like, what does that mean? So that we got Milwaukee and Texas approaching a possibly Milwaukee beat them the next game. Then Pacific, they have Coachella and Calgary destined for a Game Five, as we all wanted and expected. Let's start with Texas and Milwaukee. Um, fair to say, Milwaukee's done better than you thought they would. No, I thought this was going five. Um, I'll stick with that prediction. I thought Texas will take it in five. I'll stick with that prediction. But, uh, yeah, this is this one's a toss-up series. This one, for me, was 
probably the most difficult one to pick, I would say. And it's just two teams that uh, they're evenly matched, number one. Um, and they're both at very good at countering, right? Like, yeah, you know, they're a team, uh, both teams, like if something happens to them, you know, like, all right, fine. You know, like, like for example, in game three, uh, Milwaukee's ahead. Texas scores a pair of two goals in 26 seconds, right? Right. Completely takes over control of the game, right? A lot of teams under that situation would have would have kind of crumpled, right? Milwaukee stays with it. Uh, they kept going, coming, coming, coming. Um, they tied the game. They, they get the, the, the last goal in the final uh, minute and one second. They win the game. Like, they don't they don't back down. Texas is the same way. Texas did that in game two. Um, uh I guess the thing for me with Texas now is so Will Butcher, um, you know, uh, missed. He missed game two, so that was that was a concern, right? Like that's a, that's essentially a guy who's an NHL defenseman, right? Like you know, mm-hmm. who finds himself back in the in the AHL. Um, you know, this is more, I think, going to be a series where. It's, it's kind of a, a battle of attrition, right? Like, mm-hmm. so who, who, who can stay healthier, who can kind of like rely less on their depth, even though both uh, clubs are deep. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, there's really no weak spots on either team, right? Like we're seeing a great goaltending battle in some ways. Like, you know, you're kind of four, three game. You think, well, the goalies weren't great, but no, they were. They right? were good. Yeah. I should mention yeah. that. So, um, I think this is going five. I, this is one I wish would go seven. I wish this was the best of seven because I think it would go a full seven games had that you know been the format. And uh, they were neck and neck all year in the Central Division. That came down to the final weekend of the season in terms of who was going to clinch that division. Um, I gave Texas the edge. Just I like the fact that they had the final three games at home. Um, so I'll stick with that. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised one bit if Milwaukee does come through it because that is a very good team. I think Milwaukee closes it out. Um, I'm going to say, I don't really care if it's the next game or one after. I'm going to stick with Milwaukee on this one. What uh, what I will give Texas credit for is, yeah, Askarov has been good. Not great. But Texas has done a good job getting in his kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's really, really tilted things their direction. This is an important thing for Askarov, you know, playing through traffic development-wise, like, you know, these high-stakes games. But I, let's call a spade a spade. Texas has done a good job of that. I think that, you know, I look at the series and it's like, you know, Isaac Ratcliffe is a guy that, you know, couldn't even get into the lineup a couple games ago. He comes in, scores two goals last game, one of them which was the game winner. A beautiful tip. Did you see it? Yes. It was insane. Like, it, the, the what is he, like, seven foot five? The guy's like a mammoth. Sticks his, his stick out to the left, and then it just complete you can't even draw that up it was such a perfect deflection i look at the guys at Rycliffe, and i'm like man like that's those are the guys they have on their edges of the roster those are the guys they have competing to get in the lineup and it's he just was, for me yeah sorry what pat he was traded for future considerations not even three months ago by philly yeah so were you pat that's how we got you on the show it's not all bad uh no you're right you're right um and you're right. He went second round, right? Originally, he was a high, yeah. higher draft pick that and kind of fizzled had, out. 
he hit the wall in Lehigh Valley. Uh, just kind of like it was going nowhere for him. He came into Milwaukee. That was right after the Predators had called up a bunch of the players from Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, Nashville, to their credit, made a bunch of trades to um, bring in players like Radcliffe to help Milwaukee uh, down the stretch. And then uh, when that whole influx of players came back, like the Evangelistas and Tomasinos, et cetera, uh, for the start of the playoffs in Milwaukee, yeah, a guy like Radcliffe got pushed up. But uh, Carl Taylor, he said it. Like he told us uh, um, going into the playoffs, like, the message was be ready. I'll need you at some point in the playoffs. And uh, he wasn't kidding. And um, yeah. it's, 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 it's shown. Right. And uh, I think to reckless credit, like he, he took that, that advice to heart that, and uh, he was ready. Right. And like, it just goes to show you teams that go far, especially in the playoffs are teams that have that depth. And Milwaukee has an abundance of depth. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that's really what, I think in this series, it's been funny because we when we set this up, it was all like this series. We teed it up. We were saying how, okay, it's going to come down to a battle of a team like Milwaukee that is an influx of moving pieces. How are they in the mesh together? How are they going to do? And then you have Texas, a group that's been together for the most part all year. Mm-hmm. They're only missing like Thomas Harley, right? Is there anyone else yeah. they're missing? Uh, that's the main one, yeah. So uh, that was the big thing. And now, to be frank with you, what I've seen so far is I think Milwaukee, not somehow, but just impressingly, has made all these pieces work. Joachim Kemmel has been insane for them in the playoffs. 18-year-old, another guy, you know? And and he's a a guy that definitely fit the profile of someone that would need his time. He's been great in the playoffs, and I did not expect that. You know, he didn't even, he he was suspended for the first game, but second game, they kept him in the lineup. Since he's been in, since game three of the first round, he's been great. And there's just a lot of those cases, like Mark Janikowski even, like, it's been top top to bottom a really strong effort from Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah um, they, you know, yeah, these 18-year-olds now, they come in. I mean, Kemmel's a little different because he has that, you know, Swedish Hockey League experience, which is top league in Europe. But, yeah, it's just, it's amazing just how, I mean, I remember when I started this business, even 20, 21, 22-year-olds that were still very raw in a lot yeah. of cases, right? Like, it was – you really had to coach players up. Now, a lot of cases, they come in and you just have to fine-tune things. And I think especially that the quicker you get them into your system – I mean, that's mm-hmm. why – that's why – and we've discussed this at length, but that's why I really like the idea of if, if you're taking a high-end prospect, if, if, if it comes down to, you know, this player – junior player or is he coming over from Europe – I tend to go with the player coming from Europe for the very reason that you can get him into your system like a colleague at 18 years old and you can A, both work with him and B, mm-hmm. you also avoid the possibility of him picking up bad habits, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And so like your colleague is never going to have that issue of, well, he developed bad habits playing, you know, two years in junior because he was so far ahead of the competition. Like he's playing right at the level he's, he's meant to be at in the American Hockey League and um, I think it's a it's a real savvy move. Kemmel's same thing, right? Like get him into your system. Nashville did that. I mean, Nashville, we we, we know this. Like Nashville's, they've made a, a science out of player development for 25 years with Milwaukee. Every, just about every single player that's ever come through the Nashville Predators of any notoriety whatsoever has totally. come through Milwaukee. Whether you're yeah. talking Shea Weber, Roman Dulce, Pecorino, you name it, right? Philip Forsberg, all Milwaukee trained. Yep. And uh, Camel, kind of the same, the same path as well. 
let's go to Coachella in Calgary, going to Game 5, unsurprisingly. Let's start out with Riker Evans, who's our prospect of the week, leading all defensemen in scoring 12 points in 12 playoff games, scored the triple overtime winner against Calgary in Game 3. I don't know if there's been a, a for for Coachella, like, I don't know if there's been a more impactful blue liner for them. I would say he's probably the best. And what's really interesting about him is, yeah, he's 5'11", and you know, right away someone says he looks at his, his size or whatnot. But for me, I see a very durable player in Riker Evans in this year, and not even just because he played like 45 minutes in that game, whatever it was. But, you know, he's a, he's a very durable, responsible player, and he's taken on some very, very tough matchups against Calgary. And it's been tough, like, don't get me wrong. But he still found a way to be a very meaningful contributor in this series especially. Yeah, he has. And, you know, he missed only one game all year in the AHL as a rookie. Um, so, yeah, the durability. I, I think he's put he's put that, that question uh, – uh, he's answered that question, right? Like, um, he's – excellent you know with, with with his own exits like um he's confidence like um that comes through really quickly right i, I mm-hmm. think that's one of the things you notice as well um how he has that 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 composure at such a young age uh coming in second round pick one of the first real prospects to come through the seattle system i mean they have only had two draft classes so far um and so you know you're 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 not necessarily talking like a deep prospect pool yet, but um, he's a legit prospect, right? Like, like um, give him another year, I think, in Coachella just to kind of round things out. And I think uh, by year three of his pro uh, pro career, he'll be in Seattle full time. Um, I agree. But yeah, I mean, he's I been agree. able to translate, and it's not easy to do for a lot of young defensemen. He's been able to translate the production that he showed in junior mm-hmm. carry that into the AHL and not sacrifice any of his defensive play. Exactly. Is, that's a he's, tough line to walk. It's especially because like, he's still, he's never been shy to go into the home plate area and, you know, take the puck up and shoot and, and, and aim to score. But he doesn't do that at the sacrifice or consequence of the other end, which is kind of what you're, you're alluding to. And that's where mm-hmm. I think, that's a very impressive foundational thing to implement in terms of his upside and everything. I fully agree with you. I think that what you're going to see like this playoffs is a big stepping stone for him. And then next year you see him start to kind of knock on the door. Cause I don't think he was like, he, he had a good year, but I don't think he was ever really knocking on Seattle's doorstep. No, no. And, and he's, he's a late bloomer. I mean, you're talking about a player that was, he was a 10th round pick in the WHL. Oh, the dub. <laughs> I was like, there's no, I'm like, there's no 10th round in the NHL. <laughs> well, in the dub there is. Yeah, you're uh, right. 10th round pick, right? Like, by no me. I mean, he was like, I don't know, at the time, like maybe 140 pounds soaking wet. Um, four, foot ele- four foot 11. Yeah, just one of those late bloomers where, you know, he had to catch up. And uh, not only did he catch up, he's he's more than uh, – he's surpassed uh, a lot of his peers. And um, his goal in game three was a great example of, I think, the way he plays. Uh, put the puck on that, right? Threaded it through uh, heavy traffic. Got got it. Uh, you know, Max McCormick was setting up a good screen there, and uh, he managed to slip it past Dustin Wolf, and um, that it's yeah, it, it it showed to me. It showed a lot of confidence there. You know, you're you're on that that you know inside of that blue line, right? Like you're in a triple overtime game. There's some serious 
offensive firepower on that other side with Calgary and and you managed to to thread a, a shot through there, you know, and have the confidence to do it. Um, I think that's I love what he's he's doing there. Uh, you're getting Dan Bilesma as your head coach. I mean, that's another advantage as a young player. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I mean, look at Seattle, right? They, they went to game seven of the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs as a second year team. Um, mm-hmm. Just wait for a couple of years as they start to cycle more picks into that um, farm Operation. system coming through Coachella. Like that's a franchise uh, a lot like Buffalo. I think that's going to be uh, on the real upswing uh, in the years to come. Game five, Calgary Coachella. I'm going to ask you who you're going to pick. I'm going to ask you, who do you think is going to win? I'll go Calgary, just the Dustin Wolf factor, but... Damn it, you stole my point. I, I just, I can't, I can't go against Dustin Wolf, right? Like, I've been, I think, understandably so high on him all year. I think, like, everybody else has. is um, interesting just because, like, so Andrew Podorowski came back, back-to-back scoring champ uh, the past two seasons. Yeah, he was injured in January. And it looked like mm-hmm. that was probably it for the season for him. Kind of came, you know, so I think the surprise of every came back for game three. First game back in four months almost. He has to play a triple overtime game. Um, manages to do that. Then, then um, this is another great example of like you know how the the, the Stanley Cup playoffs influence Calder Cup playoffs. Seattle gets knocked out. That sends Ty Carte back to Coachella Valley. Yes, preferred in. Uh, back to Coachella Valley, along with Chris Drieger and Nett as a backup. Um, so, like, they added, essentially, they added a top line. Yeah. Uh, midway through the series. Um, but, and and here's where I'm going to pick how, why, you know, further to your point. Despite all of that, in a must-win game, Calgary's backs are against the wall. Wolf put post a shutout. 27, shoots, saves 27 of 27. You don't need any more proof that he's a gamer, but that's it right there for me in terms of like why I pick Calgary to win this game, why I'm so high on him, and why I think that this will be the like you've seen the last regular season game of Dustin Wolf the AHL. I firmly believe that, and I think that yeah, you can talk about how they have Dan Vladar, they've got to get Markstrom, they have to figure stuff out. When you have a talent like this, you figure it out. It's yeah, I can't, I can't see how you bring it back. I mean, I don't either. To do what um, he's been, he's been so good for two years. He's been yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I, I'll play devil's advocate for Coachella Valley. Sure. Now this will be their thirteenth game tomorrow. They would. This will be the fourth time they have faced elimination, <laughs> which is just a remarkable stat. Kind of a only in the AHL type stat. Could you have that? Yeah. Um, uh, they did so against Tucson. They came back. They blew Tucson off the ice. Came, uh, did so, so twice against Colorado, including a blowout in the, in the deciding game five there. This is a team that's very comfortable with pressure, very comfortable being uh, backed up against the wall. Um, they're not intimidated by anything, even Dustin Wolf. Um, so that that could be, I guess, my devil's advocate argument for the Firebirds. It's just um, very they're, fair. A team, um, they're a team that they're in their comfort zone, if anything. Well, there, you know, let's not. Yeah, Podorowski's get big, but like Jesper Froden was like the best goal scorer in mm-hmm. the AHL this year at even strength. So you're getting a massive boost there. He's one of the the premier, or this season at least, one of the premier finishers. That's a big challenge for Dustin Wolf. Like that, that that's definitely something that could be tough. Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Ty Carty, rookie of the year, is coming back or you know came back. Who? <laughs> yeah. Who? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fresh yeah. off uh, a good run with the with the Seattle Kraken in this couple goals playoffs. while he was at yeah, it. Yeah. So, so uh, coming I mean, back, get his confidence up. All right. So I I'm gonna go with I think we're both going with Calgary on this one. I'll put it this way though. It's a shame that that these teams are playing in this round, Game Five. Like, wish we could. See, if I could pick any series to go seven, it would be this one. Yeah. And I wish it was in the conference finals because, you know, well, I mean, this is the con- This is one of those years where it's like you know the winner of this series will probably make it to the to the Calder Cup finals, probably. Yeah. Hopefully, I know one thing. I I know this. I know that after Friday night, a team that is more than capable of winning the, the, the Calder Cup will be instead going home. Agree on that. One me. way or another. Totally whoever agree. gets, I agree with you. Whoever comes through this, I think could easily win the Calder Cup. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, there's only, there's only one team that can come through and that's going to be the, that's going to be the heartbreaker for one of those teams. Like you're, you're seeing top notch team, number one and two teams in the league this season and justify like, and they've been like, they legitimately were. It wasn't just like, well, they they had a great regular season, but like by the playoffs, they were kind of picked apart. Like, if anything, those teams are stronger now than they were mm-hmm. in the playoffs or during totally. the regular season. So, like, wow. I mean, good luck to whoever has to face someone for the Western Conference in the Calder Cup final because, wow. Uh, either way, you're you're getting an absolute heavy heavyweight to deal with agreed on all fronts all right well that's it for today's show thank you uh for everyone for listening and uh hopefully we gave you enough insight we went pretty long today but uh we'll see you next week when we'll have a, a very clear and um you know established idea of who's in the final four once the elite eight wraps up thank you so much for listening guys Till next time